0: so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online again today and glad that you could be a part of this service. Since COVID, our people have started coming back a little bit. Saw some folks today. This is their first time back and a lot in the earlier service as well. Some people who live in Canada couldn't get here. They come down every year. They couldn't cross the border. Now they were able to do that. And so we're glad that you're here. Look at the person next to you and say, you are quality. Go ahead and tell them that right now. You are quality. We, we don't have all the quantity back yet, but we've got a lot of good folks here, and we've got quality here. Now, we've been talking about going home for Christmas. Last week, we talked about being afraid to go home. Maybe we've done something wrong, we're going to get in trouble, maybe we don't feel worthy to go home. There's all kinds of reasons for that, and we shared that. Today, though, we're going to talk about the joy of coming home, to be home at Christmas and to be home with our Heavenly Father as well during this season of the year. Now, we're reminded of the truth that God loved us so much that He gave His Son, He gave His very best for us, and because of that, we know that He wants to be with us. God is a God who likes to be with his kids. He wants to be his people around him. He enjoys them. You know, just like you do when you have your family and friends together for the holidays, you want to spend time together. You want to reminisce and talk and celebrate. And that's what we saw. Recently, we saw how Micah predicted the coming of Jesus 700 years before it happened with great precision. And that reminds us that God is concerned about the details in our lives. Don't ever think that God doesn't care about the details in your life because he does. He keeps up with all the different details. So many times God has amazed me because at times when I didn't think he was paying attention, he took care of some details in my life that only he could know about. It was such an amazing thing and I'm so grateful for that. And there's good news today and good hope for tomorrow because God does care about us. This morning, we're talking about the joy of home. Now, my wife, Laura, grew up in the same house since she was a small child. They built a house about the time she was born. And by the way, pray for Laura. She's homesick today with the shingles. Yeah, but she's much better. She, She got them earlier in the week. She's gotten the medication and she's doing better now. But, you know, it's stressful living with me. And so I'm just saying that, you know, stuff like that might happen. I don't know. I don't know that I was the cause of it. But anyway, anyway, she grew up in the same house. Now, her family always had a big get-together on Christmas Eve. The whole extended family came to their house for Christmas. And then when Laura and I got married, most of the time I served churches in Florida. And, And we grew up in Tennessee. And so there was no way on Christmas Eve... For us to be at her folks' house with all the extended family, because we had Christmas Eve services together with our church family, and so we never could be there before our kids were born. Though one year we decided what we would do is try to go up there, and so we left about eight o'clock after the last service. And I don't know if you realize it, but during that time of the year, you're just really worn out. I know you get tired too. There's a lot going on. Well, if if you're in the ministry and you just kind of make it to Christmas Eve, and then Really, you just want to go home and go to bed and crash and sleep in. But anyway, so we left, and we drove, and we thought it'd be a good idea, and it was for a while. And we got up the road, and Laura is programmed to go to sleep. So I usually drive. I've found that that's best for me to be at the steering wheel because she goes to sleep pretty quick. And so I was driving along, and I made it all the way to Gadsden, Alabama. She was had been asleep for many hours, and I thought, if I don't stop, I'm about to go to sleep. I've got to stop. And so I pulled in. We got a motel, and we slept for a few hours. And then we got up and drove on into Tennessee. Now, we didn't make it. You know, there to be there that morning, but we did make it. And although we were tired, we had a great, joyous Christmas celebration. Now, for many of us, coming home is a celebration. It is a time with friends and family. It's a time to reconnect and share a meal and celebrate and tell stories and laugh together. All the fun things that you do during that time of the year. But I know there are some people, maybe here today, Some maybe who went to our blue Christmas service that we had or or are going to have, and that's a time for them because they're sad. It's a stressful time. It's a time of anxiety, and it's a time of, of difficulty. And so I realize that not everybody can always be in a joyous mood at Christmas. So this morning, I want us to think about the joy that all of us can have as believers in Christ to think about coming home to Jesus. Have you ever wondered why the angels sing? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we sing songs about the angels singing. You watch Christmas movies about the angels singing. But why do they sing? In Luke, the second chapter, verses 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, the, one of the first things you see there, it starts out and it says suddenly. It seems like this came out of nowhere. Why did the angels sing? The angels, do they sing every time a baby's born? Do you know how many babies are born? Every year, 140 million babies are born. That's roughly 385,000 babies a day. That's 256 babies per minute. That's four babies per second. That's a lot of babies, isn't it? And birth is certainly something that is a miracle. We don't know if the angels sing every time the babies are born. That sure would be a lot of singing, but... We know that they sang when Jesus was born. Why? Well, we talked about this last week. For 700 years before Jesus' birth, the prophets foretold of the Messiah coming. They said, now, sometime in the future, we don't know when, it's going to happen. For 700 years, they talked about it. And then something happened, but by the end of the Old Testament book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, all the way to the appearance of John the Baptist in the New Testament is a period of about 400 years. And during those 400 years, there was silence. There were no prophecies proclaimed for 400 years and it seemed as if God had forgotten the promise that he made. 400 years of silence is a long time. Sometimes we get impatient with God when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to in the time frame that we want. Can you imagine watching for 400 years? After I answered the call to the ministry, I had come down my senior year of college from Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I came to Niceville, Florida. I went to work at the Methodist Church there. That year, I answered the call to the ministry. Then I had to go back to school. I hadn't graduated. I had to pick a college that I wanted to go to. I had to find a church where I could work. And so there were three different churches where I interviewed. The first church really wanted me. I mean, they were really nice to me. They said, not only can you come here to work, but then you can run right on up the road to Atlanta to go to seminary. It's very close. We'll just let you keep working right here and paying you. And it was very enticing. The second church said, we want you if our youth minister leaves. The youth minister was a buddy of mine. He was planning to leave and go to seminary. And so he took me in there to get a job, to take his place. And then he changed his mind. I always wondered if he just used that as an incentive to get a raise with his boss. I'll have to ask him. I've never thought to ask him that question. A third church wanted me, and so they helped me secure a scholarship to finish school, and I was very grateful about that. Now, while I liked all three of the churches and they were all good situations, I really had to make a decision Lord, which church do you want me to serve? Ultimately, I felt led to go to the third church and I turned the other opportunities down. I learned something in that moment that God calls us to trust him even when we can't see what's ahead. Faith is being willing to jump and trust that his arms are big enough and strong enough to catch us, and that's exactly what I experienced. Now, throughout this whole process, there were moments that I had some doubts. There were times when I wondered if God cared or if he was paying attention or if I was ever going to find the right church or the right school to go to, and maybe I should just reconsider this ministry thing and do something else. But throughout all that time, God was faithful. He would continue to remind me, hey, I've called you, and this is what I want you to do. And I continued to learn to trust him as he taught me. We see Abraham experienced the same thing. God told Abraham in Genesis, the 12th chapter, that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars. In fact, his name Abraham means the father of many children. And you know, he was 75 years old. Can you imagine being Abraham? Hi, my name's Abraham. Oh, the father of many children. How many kids you got? None. How old are you? 75. <laughs> How'd you get that name? It's not working out for you, is it? I mean, think about that. And then in Genesis 21, we read that 25 years later, God gave him the first child, that child that would begin that line of descendants when Isaac was born. 25 years. He was 100 years old when he had the first child. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being his wife? She was around that same age. (laughs) Listen, I'll be 65 in February. I got a five-year-old granddaughter. Let me tell you, I can't keep up. I love Collins. I love to be around Collins. I love to watch Collins. I can't keep up with her, but she's going 90 miles an hour all the time, and I love to be around her, but I also love to give her back to her mom and daddy every now and then, you know? It's tough. At that age, 100 years old, but God fulfilled the promises. And as that time went by, sometimes we're reminded waiting on God can be difficult. It can be hard. Isaiah 9, 6, we see a prophet from from Isaiah where he talks about Jesus. And he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It goes on in Isaiah 53, and it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like no one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities." The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, he came to take our sins away. There's nothing that we could do to be forgiven of sin. There's nothing we could pay. What do we have that would be valuable enough? And yet Jesus came and he was the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. He was the sacrifice without sin. He gave his life. And you know, when God gave to us at Christmas, he gave his very best. He gave us his son. There's nothing more precious than what he has given us in Jesus. And the people heard these prophecies about Jesus they had no idea, though, when they would be fulfilled, and, and they didn't know what to expect. They were looking, though, for this militant king, somebody who would come in and set the record straight. They were occupied by the Roman armies and government. They wanted somebody to come in and throw the Roman people out, take charge. They wanted it to be the way it was back in the good old days of David and Solomon, where they were in charge of themselves. They weren't living in an occupied country under foreign rule. And somebody powerful, somebody of royalty would come in and command the room. But that was exactly the opposite of what Jesus was. When he came, that was not what he did at all, but yet that was all they and we needed. So why did the angels sing? Because God's promises are true. What God says, he does. His timing is perfect. It may not be on our timetable, but guess what? We just have to have a come to Jesus meeting and realize, Lord, you're in charge. I've seen your job description. I don't want it. You just do what you want to do when you want to do it, and I'll surrender to it. In John, the first chapter, it gives us a glimpse into this. He says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know that the angels sang because God's promises are true. Every word spoken about Jesus in prophecy was fulfilled, and that gives us a reason to sing and celebrate. Now, you remember that period of silence I was talking about a minute ago, 400 years of silence where the prophets said nothing before the birth of Jesus in which people did not hear from God, in which people doubted whether Jesus would ever come, in which people wondered and believed if the Messiah was too good to be true, in which people probably started to get frustrated with God, and yet they were radically changed by the first cry, of a newborn baby. That changed everything for them. And all those prophecies, like the one from Micah last week and the one from Isaiah today we've looked at, and so many more were completed by the birth of Jesus. This tells us a lot about the character of God. God is not only a promise maker, but God is a promise keeper. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter says, For no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. That's good news for us. So why did the angel sing? Because God's dwelling is among people. God is a father, a heavenly father who loves his children. You know how it is when you're a parent. You love your children. You want to be around them. That's why you had them. You love your grandchildren. You love your family, and God is no different. His original intent has always been to be among his people. In Genesis, the third chapter, we see that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And there they were separated from God and everyone born after them was separated as well. Because he's holy and perfect and he can't be a part of sin but God's heart was still to be near his people. And God had a plan of redemption to bring his people close again, but it would cost him everything. And yet he was willing to give it for us. And so we see that Adam and Eve realize for the first time that they're naked and they hide and God goes for a walk in a garden. And he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they say, we're hiding, Lord. And he says, why are you hiding? And they say, because we're naked. And so what God did was he explains that that, that that has happened. And it says in Genesis three twenty one, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but I want you to think about this for a minute. He had to kill the animal to do that, didn't he? This is the first time that blood was shed, in this case, to cover physically Adam and Eve, But also for the sins of humanity. You see, when Adam and Eve had not sinned, they didn't know anything was wrong. They were innocent, but now they were fallen. They wanted to cover up their sin. They wanted to hide. They were ashamed of what they had done. And right there in Genesis, the whole plan was set in motion. God killed an animal so that they might be able to cover their sin. God sent Jesus to cover our sins, and his blood does that. God's heart and desire is for you and me. It's for his people, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to be close to us. God loved you, and he loved me so much that he made his dwelling among us. Jesus couldn't have just sent us a message from heaven. He didn't do that, did he? He came in the flesh, He made his way to earth. He was born as a newborn baby. And he didn't just tell us about how to live life. He showed us. He lived it. He was perfect. He didn't sin. But he went through everything that you and I face. And he showed us how much he loved us by living here with us. Why did the angels sing? Because we get to see God's glory. In Exodus, the 33rd chapter, it says, Moses was bold enough to ask God, Now show me your glory. God, he said, I want to see you. He said, you can't look upon my face and live, you'll die. He said, I'll walk past you and you can look at my back. He said, because it'll affect you in such a powerful way. And the Lord responds by doing that. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had the glory of the Lord shining on him, the countenance of God. He didn't know it, but the people immediately recognized something different about him. He's been with God, and and he's changed. I mean, physically changed. His appearance was different, and they saw it and noticed it. The glory of God. What glory of God have you seen in your life? God spoke a promise a long time ago, and he was faithful to keep it, and he made his dwelling among you and me. If I had time today, I could tell you many times about seeing the glory of God about seeing God come through in times when there was no way, He made a way. When I was at the end of my rope, when I didn't know what to do, where to turn, how to go. I didn't see a way out, but God made a way. God so loved people that He made it possible that even after sin entered the world, He said, I'm not going to leave you separated from me, but I'm going to draw you back to myself so that you can know me. And if you know Jesus, you know me. If you see Jesus, then you know and see what I'm like. Jesus ate with sinners, with imperfect people like you and me. Jesus healed and interacted with lepers, broken people like you and me. Jesus engaged in conversation with the woman at the well who had five husbands and other people who had experienced shame before and showed them a new way. Ultimately, Jesus, the son of a carpenter, a nobody, a person with no status or social standing, he came so that he might become a child of a king. Meaning, Jesus did that so that people like you and me, broken people, people who are sinful, people who are far from God, can know God and have a relationship with him by becoming children of God. And that's why the angels sang, Because our future is forever altered because of the birth of this carpenter's son. This is the Christmas story that God made a way where there was no way. This is the Christmas story that God loved people who were broken and who wouldn't always love him in return, and yet he loved them anyway. This is the Christmas story that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life life, and we can't get around the Father without it affecting us in a positive way. And the only way to get to him is through Jesus. There is no Christmas without Christ. He is the essence and the epitome of Christmas. The angels sang because God's promises are true. His dwelling is among people, and we have seen his glory. And that can be a notice to all of us to share in the joy, no matter what you've done. No matter where you've been, it's time to come home to Jesus to experience his joy and hope and love and to live in his arms in the arms of a heavenly father who loves us. Last week, I told you about Laura and me going to seminary. I was finishing college. She was still in college. We were moving to Kentucky. We were going to be, I was in graduate school and seminary. She was in college. And I told you we lived in a little tiny town in Kentucky called Hubble, H-U-B-B-L-E, in the middle of three towns, and they built bypasses around it. Beautiful farmland out in the middle of nowhere. And and it was an interesting place. It was an out-and-away place, to say the least. I told you that when we first moved in, we'd been married about six months, and I know how to show a girl a good time. I took her in that house, and we noticed that the ceiling over the bathroom tub had fallen into the tub, and I tried to tell her that that was a skylight, but she wasn't buying it. I told you about how cold it was. We about froze to death. She would go with me out to the coal bin, and I would take the coal scuttle, and I would get coal, and she would shine a flashlight in there to scare the rats away so that I could get the coal and take it in and build a fire so that we could be warm. If we hadn't had an electric blanket one night, we probably would have frozen. The next morning we got up, it was so cold, the water in the dishes in the sink was trying to freeze. I'm not making this up. I have a witness. She's at home today sick, but she'll tell you about it. You know, it was an interesting place to say the least. I climbed on the roof to put a TV antenna up there. and and kind of buckle it around the chimney. I had to get the brick mason to come and fix the bricks on the chimney because they were about to fall off. I got an air conditioner. They didn't have an air conditioner when I moved in that summer. That didn't go well with me. I went and got Laura's mom and daddy's air conditioner, put that thing in, plugged it in and blew a fuse. It was too much power. Then I had to get the electrician to come while he was there underneath the house fixing it for me. I said, put me some more plugs in this so-called office, which was really a dog trot through the middle of the house so that I can have a few more plugs. I had all this stuff plugged into one little plug in there. I needed more plugs. You know, I told you that this house inspired that show Green Acres. There's a lot of truth to that. It was a long time ago. Well, what I didn't tell you about was that we had a cistern for water. Now, if you're not familiar with the cistern let me educate you a little bit water comes from heaven it rains it comes down the roof it falls into the gutter it goes down through a charcoal filter and it goes down under the ground of this thing called a cistern and it, it fills up with water great plan right wonderful only problem was there was no city water this is in the country this cistern was old it was small and it leaked about three quarters of the way up. So every week you had to get the water wagon and you had to go to town and you had to get water. I'm, this is in the early 80s. I'm not making this up. The churches had outhouses. I had to build them plumbing there. I had to put in bathrooms in both those little churches while we were there. We did the, that. That's my claim to fame. I'm always going to be known as the preacher who got them into a plumbing. And you, know, and you know me. How about that? We'd have to drive to town and take forever. You put the hose in the water wagon. Now listen, you couldn't just put $20 worth of quarters in there and get back in the truck. If it's raining, if it's hot, if it's freezing, you got to stand there one quarter at a time. The light turns green, you put the quarter in. It turns red till it's through. It turns green, you put the next quarter. I'm not kidding. You spend the whole day on Saturday getting water and taking it back. So I, I have, my father-in-law would come to see us all the time, and my mother-in-law, they live on the Cumberland Plateau in Tennessee. They would always bring us spring water. He would go down on the side of the mountain, park the car. He got it for his house, too. They had running water, but this is what they drank. It was clear, cool, great water. So he would bring us, he had a, a box, and he would bring us 12 milk jugs of water so that we would have water to drink. Because, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of water. You weren't going to use it up. And so you had to have it for cooking and bathing and so forth. So we bring, well, they, they came in the house, the people of the church, and they started laughing. They got the biggest kick out of that. They said, look here, the preacher is bringing Tennessee moonshine from the mountain all the way up here to Kentucky. They said, we have got to build this boy a new cistern. And they did They went out back, and they dug a hole. It was as big as a swimming pool right outside the back door. You don't want to take that step anymore. You go out the front door, and they get it all dug out, and they're working. I'm telling you, it's huge, and it's got a wall in the middle of it, and the water will go through, and it'll filter over to the other side, and it's like a big patio with two manholes out there, and you got water now. only problem was that they started this project in the winter, And they got about halfway through, and there was just this big hole in the backyard. And then the winter set in, and it was one of the worst winters that they had ever had. And because of that, they they couldn't get me any water. Now they dug up the old sister, and I didn't have any water now, except that water Laura's daddy was bringing us. And so they said, don't worry, don't worry, we've got it covered. And they got a water wagon. And they put it outside the window and they ran a hose in through the window to the house and they said now you've got water whenever you need it the only problem was that water wagon froze the water was out there you could see it you just couldn't get it it was right there and so what that meant was we had to go other places you try cooking without any water sometime it's a challenge so Every night, here's what we do. We left in the morning when it was dark, came home at night when it was dark. Miss Luce, who was our neighbor, little bitty tiny woman, tickled to death because all of her family was grown and had moved to Florida. She didn't have any family there. She said, you come to my house, I'll cook for you, and she was not kidding. This tiny little woman would cook us a meal. It was like Thanksgiving every night. I mean, every vegetable you could ever want. It was all delicious. All the rolls and the dessert. I was gaining weight just because we didn't have any running water there at the house. Then Laura would have to take a bath at Miss Lucy's house every night. Then in the morning, I'd have to drive to the seminary 45 minutes away, take a shower, get cleaned up so that I could go in a leisurely morning to my eight o'clock class there. It was a 45 minute drive. So every day that's what I was doing. And that's what she was doing. Now, that was a challenging winter for us. And as I said, we were pretty much newlyweds. But the hardship that lasted all that time was easier because the people were so loving to us. Every night, Miss Luce took care of us with those meals. Every Sunday, people in the church would take us out to lunch and feed us. They'd take us back to their house. They'd say, here's the newspaper. Sit in the recliner. I'll turn the football game on. A couple who never had kids, they kind of adopted us, and they wanted us just to hang out with them. Go to sleep. Take a nap, they'd say. And I I took them up on that. I was worn out. But, you know, they made us feel at home. And, And they set a place for us. They gave us a place at the table, and they treated us like family. Laura and I were talking about it this morning. They would get out the fine china for us, and I didn't even know what that meant. Laura said, she heard them talking, get out the Haviland. Haviland is like the best china they could possibly have. Laura knows about all that china. She inherited a lot of that stuff from her family, our family. I got paper plates. That's what we were known for. Now, here's the deal. This morning, I want you to realize there's a place for you at God's table. And God puts out the best for you and me. He loves us. We're his children. He said, listen, I'm going to give you the very best I've got. And I want you just to be here with me. I just want to be among you. I just want to love you. I just want to, to let you know how much I care. And there's a place there for us. Maybe you've been gone for a long time. Or maybe today, you've never been there before. Maybe you're thinking, you know, like last week, God can't love me because this is what I did. Or this is what I said. Or this is the way I acted ugly. But when God looks at a Christian, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so you and I, we have a hard time accepting the fact of how much God really does love us. He forgives us much quicker than we'll forgive ourselves. But he says, listen, I want you just to come home. What better time than during Advent to come home for Christmas? It's an opportunity for you to just say, Lord, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of being you know, at odds with you. I'm I'm tired of being at odds with other people. I just want to have a relationship with you and with other folks. I just want to live in peace again. I just want to experience something that only you can give me. And there's a place for you, and it's not dependent on what you do. It's all about God's character and all about his love, and you can't earn it. And there's nothing that you can do to strive to keep it. It's just there for you. I just want to ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready to come home? Are you at a place in your life where you're just going to just say, I'm just going to abandon all fear. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm just going to jump, and I'm going to trust God to catch me. And I'm just going to know that his arms are big enough and strong enough, that he loves me and he won't let me go. And he's ready. He's just ready and willing. And all I have to do is just surrender to him. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the joy of Christmas. Thank you for giving us a relationship with you. We we thank you for your presence here today. We recognize that you're in this place. This is your house. Little children know it. They see it. We heard that earlier. And we're your children too, Lord. And we see it. And we celebrate it. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so blessed. We just want to be about your business. Lord, not only do we want to make things right for us with you, but but once they are right, we, we want to take advantage of the opportunity that you give us to minister to other folks. Lord, maybe we're involved with people who've lost loved ones and we're there to minister to them. Maybe during this season, there's, there are people who are depressed and discouraged and down. They, they don't know how to go through this time of the year because maybe they've lost someone they loved, Or maybe they just feel so far away from you and they want to get home, they just don't know how. Lord, I pray that, that we would not be the same because we've been in this service. That the glory of the Lord would pour out upon us. That we would experience your real presence in our lives. That when people see us when we leave here, that our countenance will be different because of you and lord we'll give you all the glory and all the praise and we'll give our lives to you we'll just say jesus forgive us of our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness i turn to you and i ask you to forgive me a sinner and i thank you for doing that today and i pray that that i'll just take your hand and walk with you every day and be about your business. Thank you, Lord, that just like a little child, I get to go to work with you every day. What a privilege and a blessing it is. And Lord, this week, you'll give us divine appointments to reach out to others, people that you'll put in our path, people that are just going to come to us and talk to us, people that we don't have to seek out. we just be ready and willing and available. And you'll put them there, and, and you'll use us however you choose to, to be a witness for you, Lord, there's nothing else we're going to do this week that's eternal except the work we do for you. And when we get to heaven, we won't get to do that anymore because everybody there will already know you. So while we're still here, while we still have the opportunity, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege to be about your business. And all God's children said,